Izzy McLeod is a climate activist with a strong belief in living the values and being the change we want to see in the world. Izzy has a good understanding of the interconnections and intersections between climate and other justice-based campaigns. Izzy works for Any Cymunedol Cymru, Community Energy Wales, and also works to engage and educate people on matters related to climate and nature justice. Izzy Dioch, thank you for joining me. Can I first of all ask you to say what sparked your interest in ecology and climate change and have you been concerned about the planet for a long time? Yeah, hi, yes, thank you first of all for having me. I think there's sort of two answers to that question. I have been interested for a very long time. I come from a family of gardeners. I spent summers at my parents, at my mum and my nan's allotments. I would learn to catch bugs and would teach other kids to catch them instead of killing them, which got me in trouble a few times. <laughs> but then my actual environmental work, I started when I left school, I would say. So I guess the story is I started off my communication journey, I guess, doing fashion blogging. So when I was a teenager, I would just take pictures of my outfits. A lot of it was charity shop. But there was also an awful lot of fast fashion in there. And then I hit about 18, left school and suddenly became aware of my place in a global system and aware that purchases I was making specifically in fashion could have a negative impact on people on the other side of the world that I would never meet. And I thought, well, any way that I can move myself from that system would be great. So that got me into the world of ethical and sustainable fashion, which is very much linked into sustainability climate as a whole. And then it sort of went from there. A lot of it started off as me looking at my individual consumption and impact and then that sort of led to more collective stuff, as tends to be the case in a lot of people. Do you do anything in the field of fashion now? I still do, yeah. Still a lot of my, I suppose, freelance work every now and again, do panels, stuff like that. And I also run a campaign called Who Made My Pride Merch, which is sort of about looking at um, pride merchandise that big brands come out with every year and saying who is making these clothes what are you doing lgbtq plus people in your supply chain um so yeah that's kind of looking at the intersection of workers rights lgbt rights and the fashion system so taking this conversation in a different direction do you think it's still possible to maintain the 1.5 degrees temperature rise and why do you think we need to transition away from fossil fuels quickly now not to be too doomist, but honestly, no. At this point, we've hit 1.5. And even if we stopped using fossil fuels immediately, there's so much CO2 in the atmosphere that the world is going to keep heating for probably the next century before it starts cooling down again. And that is if we stopped using fossil fuels today. But that's also why it's so important to stop using fossil fuels as quickly as possible, because at this stage in the climate crisis, we're at damage mitigation. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen that we can't stop. But in my mind, and the reason I do the work that I do is we want to try and stop as much damage as possible and save as much as possible and ultimately create a better world. As soon as we can do that, the better, because the longer we leave it, the worse the effects are going to be. What do you say to those people who say, what about China? What about India? What about those countries who didn't have the Industrial Revolution at the same time as we did? And how can we achieve climate justice in this context? 
I think it's a difficult one and I think it depends on where you are what the answer is going to be to that I don't I don't claim to be an expert but I think it is about making sure that it is as easy as possible especially for smaller nations in the global south who maybe don't have access to resources and money I think that a big topic at COP27 has been about reparations and about providing money and support to those nations so that they can decarbonize and they don't go down the route because realistically a lot of the global north made our money and made a lot of the money that we did because of the industrial revolution alongside colonialism and other things and because of fossil fuels so we built our wealth by damaging the planet and we're saying to these people no you can't do that but we need to provide them with the support to be able to do that and we also cause a lot of the issues but i would also say yeah we have our responsibility for our historic impact as well so what needs to happen now for fast action and what can people do to play a part in this transition i mean i think on Honestly, fast action requires the mobilization of every government, every industry, every organization and every person in the world as much as possible. I would always say that we need 8 billion climate activists and that is going to look different for every single person who is involved. Different people have different abilities, access, privilege, all of these sorts of things. But I would say personally, if you are interested in tackling the climate crisis, Find an area that you're really passionate about and go from there because it's such a big thing. Humanity has never dealt with something like this before. We're all learning. And so you need to pick one area. You're never going to be able to do it all. Don't try. (laughs) It will be incredibly overwhelming. Yeah, so pick one. Know that you doing your part is something, I would say. So if you picked an area that was, say, renewable energy and you wanted to work, say, in your community, what advice would you give people to get involved? I would say first look around and see if there's any community energy groups local to you and if there's any opportunity to support them or volunteer with them or I know that a lot of community energy groups do share offers if you have money but not necessarily the time to support and if there's not then you can look at starting one of your own or even on a more individual level if you have the capacity to looking at what you can do in your own home for example solar panels or energy efficiency measures or changing your heating that sort of thing is a good start but like I said it's big even just looking at renewables it's pretty big what kind of things are community groups currently doing what are the range of technologies that are currently in existence oh there's quite a lot I would say that the main ones are wind and solar so you might have on a smaller scale solar on a community building or solar on a number of buildings that are either providing electricity for that specific building or for the local area And then wind turbines generally produce a lot more energy. And so you might have a wind turbine. Generally, it goes straight into the grid, but then that money will go into the community and be used for other things. And then heat is another one. It's not that big yet. It is a growing, hopefully even more soon, growing industry. There are communities in England, for example, who have set up district heat networks in their local communities to provide low carbon, cheaper heat. Can you say a bit about the the potential benefits to communities from people coming together to create renewable energy? Most of the time, the money that is made from, say, a wind turbine or solar goes into a community pot. It depends how the community is set up. Some of them are community benefit societies or kicks, or they have charities associated with them. But generally, profit that is made from a renewable generation scheme, for example, will go into that pot and then be used for other things in the community, whether that is then using that for energy efficiency measures or some communities I know use it for education and outreach work 
but basically that money tends to stay within the community and be used for things that community directly needs. I know one of the areas where more groups are getting involved is the issue of the cost of living crisis and energy costs are a big driver, aren't they, in the cost of living crisis. The community energy sector can help. Profits from renewable energy generated by the community can help people who are struggling. Yeah, so there are a number of ways that community energy can help with the cost of living. One of those, for example, a big one on everyone's mind is the cost of heating at the moment. So if there was, for example, this is more of a long term solution, a community heat scheme set up that would be generally cheaper. You're usually removing the reliance on gas or oil or LPG, which are generally the price of those fluctuate even more than with gas. And so that will help the community directly. You can also have profits from a generation scheme going in to support a warm space or energy efficiency measures or supporting education and outreach work that helps people keep their homes warmer. Or you have systems like Energy Local, where these generation schemes are then selling their electricity cheaper locally so that local people are, through a bit of a loophole, it's not very easy at the moment, unfortunately, buying local energy cheaper than it would be. Ten years ago, I wrote a pamphlet called A Green Print for the Valleys, which was an attempt to put forward a whole systems approach to sustainable, cooperative, economic and community development. Can you say from your perspective why a whole systems approach like this is the best one and why it's important to consider the environmental, cultural and social or community as well as linguistic aspects to community development? I always look at it as what future are we building towards? Because personally, I don't want the exact same as we have right now, just with no fossil fuel use. I think that if we're building a new future, then we can build that better for everyone. And that looks at people being healthier and happier. It's a more equitable society. So you're looking at tackling issues such as poverty, racism, homophobia, all of those aspects within that. And what we risk doing if we're just concentrating on carbon is just redoing the systems we already have, just with a different technology. Um, we have massive issues within supply chains with human rights issues and things like that. And so if we're just looking at we need to cut carbon, we need to stop the climate crisis without considering the human impact when these systems that created the climate crisis also impact humans, then we're repeating the same mistake again we just have a less warm world mm. you mentioned problems with the supply chain there potentially and i know that this has been a real issue in wales you know getting the materials to build wind turbines and solar panels so much of that is manufactured outside of wales what can we do to improve the supply chain of renewable energy kit do you think I think that's a difficult one and one I've only just started looking into. I came from a background in fashion, so I know a lot more about supply chains in, in the fashion system. But I think it's a similar issue in that if there's best practice there, if there are suppliers that are doing good and doing right, then we should be supporting those. So there's a lot of precious metals used in renewables. That's not something we can avoid. It's part of the electrical system and all electric equipment has it in. And there's issues with conflict materials there. There's issues with child labour there and modern day slavery all in there and I don't think there's an easy fix to that but I think that if we ignore that it's there entirely like I said we risk just repeating the same mistakes. Mm. There are some really big questions there aren't there? Mm. Another big topic is the question of biodiversity and the nature crisis. Can you say a bit about how the nature crisis and biodiversity loss 
is linked together with what we've been talking about in relation to energy and climate and what we can do as individuals and as communities to help halt the damage. Yeah, so I think that as the climate changes, then that has a huge impact on all of nature. And alongside climate change in and of itself, the reason we have climate change in the first place is that our economic model is a model based on extraction. So humans historically have gone, ah, I can just take all of these things with no consequence and make money out of them. And we're now realising, hang on a minute, these things run out. And also us extracting without care for any of the communities in the area, without care for any of the animals and any of the nature in the area has dire consequences. So that's kind of where we are now. And so I think especially community energy has a part to play in not only transitioning the energy system, but also keeping access to green space and having people give back to nature and preserve a lot of nature that we have and rebuild it because we lost so much of it over the last couple of hundred of years because humans are not very good long term thinkers or haven't been up until now. I also think it's about the things that we don't necessarily think of when we think of nature. Often I have friends who are into conservation and we often see, you know, pictures of polar bears and animals that we find cute and endearing as part of the campaign to save planet, save biodiversity. And we think this is important, of course, and I also love polar bears and koalas and all of these animals. But I think that we neglect how much of nature is an interconnected system, where if you take one thing out, even if you don't think it's having a big effect, it can collapse the whole thing. And some of the work I've done recently is looking at fungi, and fungi historically have been ignored. They were considered lower plants. They're not even plants, they're sort of between plants and animals, and they are essential parts of our ecosystems. There's theories that part of the reason why plants made it onto land is fungi, and I think it's 90 plus percent of all terrestrial plants have symbiotic relationships with fungi in some way, shape or form. And so even the stuff that we don't see, or we might not think is pretty, or we might think is weird, is important. But often the conversation around climate, because it is led by certain groups of people, means that those certain groups of people are centred and listened to. And I think that we need to go across the board and think, Every community is important and every person is important in this conversation and in the future. And that kind of goes back to the conversation about not just looking at energy, but looking at whole systems approach. Izzy, that's been really interesting. You've managed to connect together a wide range of issues, but of course it all comes under the umbrella of the climate emergency. I'm really grateful to you for our chat. Thank you very much. I'd like to say Diolch to those who have helped me with this project. Diolch to the team at Audacity, the open source audio editing software used to make this podcast. Diolch to Nick James for the artwork. Diolch to Llewyn Stefan, the creator of the music. And finally, Diolch to all the podcast supporting subscribers. I'm grateful to all of you. I'm looking for support to continue to make these podcasts. You can become a supporting subscriber by checking out my Patreon page. You have been listening to the Leanne Wood Podcast.